Thanks for joining us today on Open the Word with Circle of Friends. I'm Missy. And I'm Gwen. And we're glad you're here. <laughs> we sure are. You know, this is kind of a uh, part two, I guess. It's a good follow-up, let's say Right. That. You know, we kind of wanted to give the next step of the story. So, you know, uh, in the last podcast Missy and I recorded, we talked about Nehemiah 8, um, starting in verse 1, where... Uh, God's people have been able to return after 70 years in exile in Babylon. And so they are excited to come back. They've to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the wall, to establish themselves in the promised land again. Um, and so a part of that was um, Ezra came back as the high priest and he, he literally gathers together the book of the law of Moses and it's read to the people for the first time in mm. lifetimes. Um, and so as they're reading what we read last week, uh, for the last podcast was that they discovered things that hadn't been practiced since, um, since Joshua, son of Nun, had been leader. So since right after Moses, the next leader had been Joshua. And so from the time of Joshua to now, uh, or this moment in history, they hadn't practiced the Feast of Booths. And so most of them had never even heard of it, didn't even know it was in there. So it was a discovery. And their response was, well, how do we do this? And so proclamations are sent out and the people obey. They go and they do this. And so it's this new discovery of one of the major feasts of the nation of Israel. Um, And so that's chapter 8. And in the midst of all of this is this uh, public uh, church services, sort of. I mean, where God's word is just read aloud from the platform. Um, And so the heads of houses and families, entire family systems stand and listen to God's word being proclaimed. Um, And so chapter 9 is the rest of the story so to speak. Um, And so you have to kind of talk about what happens in eight so that you're ready to walk into chapter nine. And chapter nine makes so much sense because this is the natural consequence of being in God's word. Yes. We, We talked before and we've talked often about God's word being alive. And in fact, we might as well just read that verse. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Mm. I mean, that that's... It's living. Living. It's alive. It brings to mind 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16. All sp- scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired mm. by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. At God's word, mm. you know, it, it accomplishes what it is sent out to accomplish. And the, the biggest thing about the Old Testament that we need to understand is that it is what shows us that we have a need for a Savior. Mm. Because the law focus so much on the righteousness that God requires, we understand that we have no hope of providing that level of righteousness to be worthy of heaven and eternity and a relationship with God. And so literally the Old Testament law 
was to make sure that it established that no human could look at God and say, well, you can't hold me accountable for having sin. It, it literally was like a legal establishment of sin is what the Old Testament does for us. So it sets up the need for God to send his son. Hmm. Um, And so the Old Testament being read out loud here does what it's designed to do is that it is designed to show men their sin, to show men how they fall short and do not have a hope of obtaining the righteousness required to stand before a holy and living God. Um, So let's pick up at 9 verse 1. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dirt upon themselves. And again, this is a very cultural thing for them to do, but it was a sign of mourning. And it was a sign of... Uh, recognizing their true state of where their heart was and their righteousness. The descendants of Israel, we're in verse 2, it separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquity of their fathers. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because these are God's chosen people. They were called to be to, to come out separate. Mm. They were called to be a holy and dearly loved people, but they were called to be, um, oh, what word do I want? To be what the world mm-hmm. would see, the example in front of the other nations of God moving in the heart of his people. Yes, and instead they were drawn into other cultures and kind of absorbed by them rather yes. than being set apart. Yes, yeah. and instead of and instead of influencing those cultures exactly. to join them, they a lot of times would assimilate the other cultures into themselves. And they lost that purity and that um, separateness that God asked of them. Oh, and boy, couldn't we talk about that in today's mm, culture? But yes, we could. <laughs> moving on in Nehemiah, <laughs> uh, and it says uh, in verse 3, And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. That yeah. That's intense. It's very intense. And it's very purposeful. It's very much, I mean, this is the result of reading the word of God up to this point and the, and the Feast of Booths and all these things that have happened. God's word is at work in them. That's pretty incredible stuff. Uh, okay, so verse 4, you're going to have to bear with me. There's a lot of names I might butcher here, so we'll, we'll give it our best shot. Now on the Levites platform stood Jeshua, Bandi, uh, Cadmiel, Oh, Shebani, Buni, Sherebiah, maybe Bani, uh, Chaniah, and they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And verse 5, then the Levites, Jeshua, and then all of these people, um, said, Arise and bless the Lord your God forever. Oh, may your glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. So what we enter into here is literally a worship. Mm. Um, and so the Levites are the priests. They're the worship leaders. They're, they're um, the guides to you know, basically worshiping God. They lead the people through the services. 
Um, and so what you have that follows is this discourse. It goes on into great detail, uh, really listing their sins of, mm-hmm. of their forefathers, of, of Israel as a people group and what they had done. But I want to read, uh, let's start in verse 16. It says, but they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. Uh, In the midst of all this, they note God's graciousness his love for them and then they continue the litany of sins Mm. that you know they and their forefathers continued to do verse 29 says you warned them in order to turn them back to your law so they acknowledged the the ways and the areas in which god uh intervened or tried to intervene tried to steer them back to him and the reasons for it you know, again, sometimes we get this idea of God shaking his finger at us from, in, from heaven, you know, like, oh, you can't do this and you can't do that. And that is not at all what he, who he is or what he's done. And I love that they're acknowledging here, God, you gave us rules for a reason. Yeah. And you warned us, you tried to tell us that this, this was the way to live because it was for our good and, and it was for your purposes and because of the way that you created us. But they... They acted presumptuously, and they didn't obey the commandments, and they sinned. And so they continue this confession, which, oh, it's, yeah. it's so good. Verse 33, yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Mm. That, that's, that's the heart of repentance right there, right? Well, absolutely. When you see who God is... And you agree with him about what you are or what you've done. Can you imagine, Missy, like I'm sitting here as you're reading and talking and just thinking about church. Mm. What would it look like to have a service like this? To have a service where people are being raw and honest and agreeing with God about how disgusting their behavior's been. Mm everything that they've hidden comes out. Like there's just this honest unburdening of all that secret stuff that sometimes believers carry and that makes them a walking hypocrite, that that makes their words and how they're living and the, the yuck that they're hiding, that makes that just disappear Mm. i mean it's put out in the open it's unburdens the soul i mean there's just this sense of just cleansing the slate between you and the lord about just getting honest and getting it all out there i just think about how much healthier our churches would be oh yes absolutely if there was just this mutual i see you as you are, mm. God, you see me as I am, and I am just humbly agreeing fully with what I've done and how you see it. Honestly, I think our churches would be a lot healthier, and we wouldn't probably have the moments where all of a sudden this godly leader has fallen. 
because I think we would be offering each other grace and mercy a lot more by being that authentic and real with one another. Well, I think of, of James five sixteen where it talks about, and we're commanded to confess our sins to one, one another. another. And there's a reason for that. And that's yep. not a, it's not a gossiping session. That's not a, uh, you know, finger pointing session. That's not beating each other up. It's, it's, as you said, to get real and to get honest, because until you are honest before God, until you recognize your sin mm-hmm. and admit it, it, you can't repent of it because yeah. you don't admit it. Or if you don't know the Lord, until you admit that you have sin and he's made the payment for it, you, you know, you don't, you can't receive his gift because you don't understand that what it is or how it uh, impacts you or what it means to you. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And our sin becomes a wall yes. between us and the Lord. Yes. You know, I, it's funny because I remember as a kid uh, sneaking and getting that old, um, thermometer that had the mercury in it uh, yeah. and I, I was pretending I was playing house I think or something and my baby was sick and and I was shaking it with my hand well I hit the edge of the counter uh, and it's sh- you know they're glass and so it's shattered I have no idea how I cleaned it up I did not understand mercury at that point <laughs> I don't remember what happened with that but I remember hiding the ends back in the medicine cabinet under the sink as far as I could get them and I remember carrying the burden of that offense. Mm, yeah. Which honestly wasn't a big deal. If I'd have been honest about it, she could have bought another $2 thermometer and no right. big deal. Right. But because I hid it, it ate at me. And Missy, I remember how many times that silly thing was looked for <laughs> over the next couple months. Yeah. And I think I hit it for probably eight months. Wow. Um, my brother was about two at the time and got a fever and mom needed to take his temperature. And I had, it was that moment where you had to confess because there what that was our only thermometer and i remember digging those pieces out and taking them to my mom and confessing and after that moment um i remember her disappointment and her trying to problem solve how she was going to take my brother's temperature but i also remember just feeling so relieved that that was out yes. and it was gone and i yes. didn't have to yeah. cringe every time a yeah. thermometer came up I know, better to oh. get the punishment or the spanking or the whatever over with right. <laughs> than to carry that kind of a weight. And we yeah. do the same with our sin, though, don't yeah. we? Yes, Foolishly, we, we carry it because we are maybe afraid to take it to God uh, or maybe don't understand what awaits us when we do that. Yeah. Or maybe we're still in rebellion and we say, I don't want to quit sinning. Mm. I like this. So I'm not ready to give this up yet. not ready to give it up, so I'm going to wait. And yeah. Unfortunately, when you do that, consequences do come. And, oh, my. uh, The really great thing that I've learned, especially in my later years, is is God's love. Because I had a lot of guilt. I was guilt-ridden as a young Mm. person. I was very much a rule follower. I was very much, you know, if you don't do this, this will happen. So you have to do this. Or um, authority figures in my life loomed large and... And I understood consequence. So so in some yeah. ways, I'm grateful for it. But in, in my later years, understanding God's great love for us, that when we do sin, he is so willing 
and ready to forgive us. He's like right there. So there's there's no reason to hesitate. Like my advice is run, run to the Father. And I've learned to run as many times as I need to run. And honestly, you know, true confession time here, Missy runs a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Missy's Missy's like turn around and running Uh back to God a lot saying, I blew it. I know better. I want to do better. But it always kind of filters down to, I need you. I need you so much because I can't do it. And understanding that, there's a a security and a safety and a peace in that because I'm continually looking to Jesus and his payment, which is the only thing that can save me, that the only thing that can save my sin. And and the Holy Spirit is the only one who can help me obey. As as good as I try to be, I'm never going to be good enough. So letting go a lot of that. I mean, that's that's an amazing place to be in your life, to recognize Jesus has paid the price. He's done it all. The Holy Spirit gives you the power you need. And don't hesitate to keep a clear account with the Father. Absolutely. And you know, Missy, I love what you're pointing out about just our, you know, that we just don't have the righteousness. Because all of our righteousness is as filthy rags Mm -hmm. when compared to Christ and to God's holiness. Um, and so like literally we are dead as Ephesians says in our transgressions and sins, dead man can't fix themselves. They can't get rid of the sin. They can't do anything. They're dead. And so that's describing how much power I have to erase and take care of Mm -hmm. my sin before a holy and living God. And, and here's, here's the, uh, the pendulum, if you will. We, if we're not careful, what we do is, without realizing it, uh, we we take this on and think that we can be good enough. Mm-hmm. Like we follow this rule and we follow this rule, mm-hmm. but that person doesn't. And so, you know, so we become judgmental, and yep. we we actually put ourselves on a pedestal, mm-hmm. and the arrogance comes and pride comes, and so we end up sinning. Because we think we're not sinning. Does that make sense? Yes. And the other part of that, too, that kind of goes hand in glove with what you're saying is that we minimize how bad our sin is. Yes. You know, so and basically what we do at that point is we erode our very need for a Savior. We we literally blow up Mm -hmm. the reason for the cross. Yeah. And we and we. We deny, undermine it, undermine it, and we deny exactly his yeah. sacrifice. What he did, we make little of it. Yes, we we make it as if it wasn't a sacrifice at all, and it was everything. It was literally everything because he took on every sin, and he yeah. was separated from God. So we don't need to be. Yeah, mercy only makes sense. Yeah, when we fully recognize and acknowledge our sin, mm-hmm. because otherwise it's not mercy. It's just kind of ignoring. The problem, yeah, you know, pretending it's not there, and that's injustice. Anytime you don't recognize the full weight of the offense, it's injustice. So mercy only makes sense when there is perfect judgment, when there's perfect justice in a scenario. That's what's so beautiful about Jesus is that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might have the righteousness of Christ and and the p- full privileges of sonship in the family of God, that mm. we are fully adopted to where the old is gone and the new has come, um, where the old man 
it, it has been buried and, and the power that sin had has been broken and that we have been raised to newness of life, that we've been given everything we need for life and godliness mm. in Christ Jesus. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. But if we minimize sin, if we make it like it's not a big deal, then we minimize our need for Jesus. We, we literally, yeah. we pervert the gospel. We absolutely do. And we, we miss it. We miss, we miss everything about it. Absolutely. Uh, wow. Which is one of the reasons why I've loved that we've gone to Nehemiah, because we talked on the last podcast about Nehemiah 8, where the people hear the word of God and what that does. And then, and then here in chapter 9, understanding what confession of sin does and how that, that frees you from that guilt, because the payment has been made. But you have to recognize the sin, and you have to call sin sin. And you, we have a tendency, as you said, to minimize our own sin. Like, well, I might have, I might have told a little white lie, but I never stole, or I never cheated, and I never did that. Forget that. You sinned. Sin is sin is sin is sin. There's no minimization of sin in God's eyes. God is holy, and we are not. And we have to take ownership of our own unholiness our own unrighteousness which is what we answer for that's what we answer for so unless you have accepted christ's righteousness as your own because of his and understand that he's made that payment for you 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 yeah you can be as you can be as a a wonderful a person as you possibly could be and do everything as right as you possibly think you can and you still are not going to you're not going to make it. You can't hit that mark. There's no way. Right. Because no one is perfect. Yeah. There is none that is righteous. Yeah. No, not one. And, and you know, I think sometimes that we can get into this trap where we think that if we're good enough, it'll cancel Yeah. the bad stuff. <laughs> and yeah. the bad stuff lives before the throne. It lives on our account, and no matter how much good stuff, it does not erase any of the bad. You can have tons of good on there, but the problem is not the balance. The problem is the bad on there. Because God is such a perfect and holy God, even one speck of an ounce Mm. of that messes up purity. Absolutely. It destroys purity. And so we inherited a sin condition. So even if you you could possibly live life perfect, you are born into the sin condition that has been passed on from the moment Adam rebelled in the Garden of Eden with Eve. So literally it was passed on to us that we are born in our sins. Um, that's literally how we enter this world. Um, and we'd love, you know, <laughs> we love to look at babies and think that they're just all perfect. But it, the truth of the matter is we're sinners multiple ways, not mm-hmm. just by our actions. Mm-hmm. We're sinners by the fact that we inherited um, through Adam, sin enters all of mankind's existence. And it is through Jesus as the yeah. second Adam that we receive forgiveness and redemption and access um, to heaven and to the throne of grace with which we can come boldly. You know, so the first Adam screwed it all up. <laughs> the mm-hmm. second Adam in Jesus Christ fixes it. 
He is the solution. And so outside of him, there is no salvation. Mm. He is the only way, truth, and life. Mm. You get Jesus wrong and you get eternity wrong. Mm. It's, it's all about getting an understanding of who Jesus was and exactly what happened on that cross. Mm. The Old Testament points towards the cross. The New Testament looks back from the cross. Our sins were dealt with there. This is how we live it out. Um, and this is how we share it with others. That's the New Testament. The Old Testament was looking forward to the prophesied fulfillment, mm-hmm. the, the satisfaction of uh, God's wrath. Um, and so literally the entire what we saw here of, of all of these sacrifices and feasts and festivals, all of that points to Jesus as the perfect sacrifice, Jesus as the perfect high priest, um, Jesus as that perfect one-time atonement for sin. So the Bible, start to finish, is all about Christ, who is the center of everything, start to finish. Amen and amen. (laughs) And listeners, once again, don't take our word for it. Open the word for yourself. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd love to hear from you, so find us on Facebook and Instagram at Open the Word Podcast or... Send us an email to openthewordpodcast at gmail.com. Is it time for you to plan a day trip with your peeps? Come and stay a while at Shia Market in Berlin. There is something for everyone, no matter what your taste or style may be. Visit the Village Gift Barn for your custom floral arrangements and timeless accessories for your home. Stroll upstairs to Shia's Style Boutique for your perfect outfit. Everything from accessories to shoes. Be inspired at country gatherings with decor from modern farmhouse to transitional design. Then meander through the gardens for a large selection of houseplants. And last but not least, order your perfect cup of brew at the Buggy Brew Coffee Company. End your day by gathering to relax in our courtyard. You will leave feeling connected and refreshed. Step back in time with a stay at one of the oldest buildings in historic Berlin, Ohio, the Worthman House. This charming building has a rich history with origins dating back to as early as the mid-1800s. The newly restored two-bedroom, one-bathroom suite has hardwood floors and gorgeous chestnut trim throughout. It is also outfitted with locally made Amish furniture. It can sleep six and offers a beautiful panoramic view of Berlin's Main Street. Its location in the heart of Berlin is an ideal spot for walking to various restaurants and shops. Book your stay at the Worthman House through VRBO.